um, per capita, we committed more than any other nation to, like, especially the, the First and Second World War. Um, and so that's a pretty crazy thing to think about. We're a young nation sort of thing, and there was a lot of people who heard the call um, and decided to defend the nation. Um, and so we remember them, we recognize them. We are all, like, recipients of their sacrifice. And so on Anzac Day, we consider that, and we honor them, and we say... Thank you for that. Like, that is, well, I'm greatly appreciative of something like that. Um, but we don't just um, remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice in laying down their lives. We, pay, we, we remember those who came, um, yeah, came back to never be the same. Um, those who, like, experienced scarring, like, physically or emotionally. Um, and I think that as a nation, <coughs> we're still paying the consequences of the atrocity of war, um, of hurting people and broken families. And, um, and so, yeah, we do remember as Christians, but we don't celebrate um, the wars that have been. Uh, we give thanks to God uh, that there, are, there have been people willing to pay the sacrifice, but as, as Christians, we pray for peace. We are a people of peace. And, um, and so I thought that before we got into things, that let's do that. Let's pray for peace because all over this world, there is war. There are hurting people. There is conflict where there should not be conflict. And um, we know this breaks the heart of God. And so let's lean into that before we lean into the next. Is that cool, family? Man, I'm crying already. We're in trouble. <laughs> um, cool. All right, let's just pray. Yeah. God of peace, we need your peace. This world needs your peace. And so we lift up to you those places around this world that are in conflict, people who are hurting or dying because of it. We lift those countries like Syria and Yemen um, up to you who have been in long, bloody conflicts. Lord, we pray for your peace over those nations. Lord, we pray for the conflict within the Middle East. Lord, we pray your peace over that. Lord, we pray for reconciliation, where there has been bloodshed far too long. Lord, we pray for nations like Ukraine, um, who for seven years now have been on, like, at war or the brink of it. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name your peace. Lord, we pray for the nations in South America who are bloodied with like conflict around drugs. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name your peace. Lord, we pray for the nations in Africa that are torn apart because of greedy people. Lord, bring your justice and your peace. Lord, Help us to desire diamonds far less than human life. We pray, Father, for those in power in these countries that are seeking to bring your peace. Fill them with your spirit. And Lord, we thank you that one day this world will be at peace because you say so, because you are the Prince of Peace. It's why you came and it's why you're coming again. And so we look to you, King Jesus, 
stir our hearts with hope, that we may pray bold prayers over these nations and situations. And in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is in these names that we pray these things this morning. Amen. 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 (sighs) Okay. So, today, uh, in our spiritual gifts series, uh, we are actually talking about a gift that requires sacrifice. Uh, And... It is a gift, I believe, that is potentially the most or one of the most neglected gifts uh, in the church today. Uh, But at the same time, I believe it is a gift that is deeply needed in both the church and this world because of some of the stuff that we just prayed about even. Um, Today, I'm talking about the gift of voluntary poverty. (laughs) And in saying that, I potentially have lost most of us. Um, And that's understandable. I mean, voluntary poverty, like, those are some fairly crazy words. Uh, We live in a world uh, where 3% are wealthy and the rest aren't, or are considered to be living below, like, the the needed uh, income for them to be able to provide for themselves and families. And so voluntary poverty seems fairly crazy, yes? Yeah? Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah, we can agree on this. It's okay. I'm not going to ask you guys just because you said amen to then like become a monk and sell everything you have, okay? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But um, in, saying, in saying that about voluntary poverty, I, I actually do believe, um, and I would ask for you to stay with me on this because I, I believe that we can discover some truly, deeply transformative things from the words of Jesus, the ways of Jesus, and kind of like what that looks like in Christian community. So are you guys okay to journey that with me this morning? Yeah? Cool. Awesome. We're getting there. Liking it. Liking it. I think it's really important this morning to remember that the Christian faith and tradition isn't a stranger to sacrifice. Although sacrifice seems like a strange concept, especially in the 21st century, where in a nation like New Zealand, um, the majority of us here this morning experience affluence. We came in cars, we came from homes, we potentially had breakfast this morning if you didn't wake up too late, or at least a coffee. I'm on my third. Um, and so, you know, like we, we live in a, in, a, in a land of affluence, not to say that there isn't poverty in this land, but we have experienced, like we, we are the recipients of, of wealth. And, that, and, and so let's recognize that. And so the Christian faith, the Christian tradition is not a stranger to, uh, to sacrifice, although it is a strange concept in this day and age. Uh, the, the Christian faith and tradition is not a stranger to giving up for the sake of others. Do you guys, would you guys agree with me on that one? Yeah, the Christian faith is actually deeply rooted in that concept for giving up for the sake of others. And so that, this morning, before we get into the gift itself, I actually thought it's really important because of kind of like the foreign nature of this gift for us to ground this gift in, um, in as Christians, concepts that we would all agree with both from the, like the words of Jesus and the way of Jesus. And so we're going to unpack a little bit and then we're going to move into the gift. Is that cool? Yeah? Awesome. Sweet. And so I think um, in today's society, it is very easy to think uh, that Jesus is not overly relevant when it comes to topics such as money or economy 
um, or like topics like this. But when we add up all of the teachings that Jesus um, spoke about or, or gave, should I say, uh, on the topic of money or possessions, it tallies up to 25% of his total, total teaching. 25% of his total teaching is dedicated to money and to possessions, to wealth and to affluence, which is really interesting. What's really interesting by that is also that uh, that is the largest portion of committed teaching to any topic that Jesus taught on. So there is no other topic that even kind of comes close to money and possessions that Jesus taught on. And so we can think that Jesus is not necessarily overly relevant, you know, he lived 2,000 years ago, whatever it is, to the things of money and to possession, but the thing is, is that humans like we have today are humans like they had back then, where money is a thing, and greed was a thing, and possessions were sought after, although they weren't iPads or coffee, you know? Um, they were just simply different. And so we can think that Jesus isn't overly relevant, relevant to this particular topic, but he really is, and he has a lot to say, and he committed a lot of his teaching to the topic of money and possessions. And so as followers of Jesus, it's, it's clear that we need to pay attention to those words, that we need to listen to them and go, okay, what do you have to say about these things, Jesus? And so we're going to jump up. Uh, they're going to be on the screen. I've got the, um, the clicker of destiny with me this morning, um, and let's see if this works. All right, sweet. So we're going to go through just a small portion of Jesus' teachings um, on the topic of money and possessions. Cool? You ready for a wild ride? Yeah? All right, sweet. Here we Let's do it. So Luke chapter 12, verse 15 says this. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Wow. Already out the gate, big words. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. No, notice he doesn't say greed, full stop, all kinds of greed. There are variations of greed. And I think that if we take a good hard look at ourselves and this world, we would recognize that there are different forms of greed in this world. There are different forms of greed in my heart. And as followers Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, am I, am I going to look inwardly long enough to go, Jesus, where is that greed? What does that look like in my own life? Because life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Big words, big words. So a couple of verses later, um, verse 33, he says this. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Okay, to the point. <laughs> Fairly big. How does that sit with me? How do, how do those words sit with me? Like, do I think those are just nice words? Or are these words from the creator of all things and sustainer of all life who actually can tell me to sell my possessions. Now, again, there's a lot of teaching around this and like figuring out what that looks like in our own lives if we listen to the words of Jesus. But he does say some pretty bold and big things. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Wow. Okay. Next one. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and then 33. So we're jumping a little bit because... There's a whole lot going on in this passage. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Again, so this is about possessions here and the things that we pursue or chase in life. Don't worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the things that you need. Not necessarily, you know, like the, the, the Air Force Ones or like the Nike whatevers, you know, that it is that you want, but the things that you need will be given to you. Cool, next one. Mark chapter 4, verse 19. But the, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth... Notice that wealth is called deceitful. The deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Where in my life am I, uh, have I been deceived by wealth and the pursuit of possessions and physical things resulting in, words, uh, in the words of Jesus not bearing the fruit that it should in my life? Those are, those are big, big things to think about. Things I've been challenged about over the last couple of weeks is prepping for this. And then finally, Matthew chapter 19, verse 24. Again, I tell you, we all probably know this one fairly well. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, whether you think that the, the eye of a needle is a, a gate in Jerusalem, a small one for like cattle to enter into, or Jesus was literally meaning an eye of a needle, it's kind of funny what Jesus is saying here. It's hard for uh, like a fairly big animal to fit through like a small space, but it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Wow. Now, I've just said a whole lot of stuff, and I'm sensing a bit of quietness, <laughs> and that's okay. It is, because I think that when we genuinely start to grapple with what Jesus had to say, it hits home, especially in the 21st century. So can you see how Jesus' words are deeply relevant to today? Not just to 2,000 years ago? Yeah? Cool. All right. So I think very quickly, so it's been good to, I think it's good to look at the, the words of Jesus, but we also need to look at the way of Jesus in terms of his own life and his example, because he not only taught on these things, he lived these things out. And so let's look at how he lived. I think it's really important to do that. Um, I, don't know, I don't know about you, but when I grew up in church, uh, I grew up thinking that God had very little to say about money, or should I say he cared very little, bit about, very little about money, apart from as long as, as a Christian, I was generous, and uh, he got his cut. Now, that might sound brutal, that might sound like honest, but that's how I grew up thinking. Is because I heard a lot about this, this idea of tithing and a mysterious 10%, um, this figure that kind of like wafted around and there was like theological arguments as to whether it was that particular amount or if it should be more or less or like whatever sort of thing. But this is how I grew up. And so I don't know what your growing up in church was like if you had a, had a growing up in church. Um, and as a kid, I remember thinking about how, sorry, not thinking about, when I'd hear about these things, and I would look at my allowance in a week, my $2 allowance, okay? So um, I know I was a high roller back then even. Um, and I would think about my $2 and go, 10% of $2, you know, like, what does that leave me, okay? For, like, what does that leave me? And, and how far am I going to get with it as if I needed to, like, get far, as if my parents weren't paying for anything, everything already? And so this was me as a young person trying to figure this out. What is 10% of $2? And so, I mean, I think it's a good practical thing to wrestle with. My parents talked to me about it. Um, 
But also, I had this funny thing in my mind. Why would God care about me giving 10% of my $2 as if that could make a difference? And I remember actually for, for a, a good couple of weeks at one point deciding not to give because I felt like it was nothing. Like God wouldn't care about my little bit that I gave. But Jesus had other ideas, and he actually brought somebody into my life, and somehow they had picked up on the fact that I was kind of like, like not, it wasn't even my parents, this is the cool thing about it, and they had noticed that like normally I would put something in, you know, when the, the this is back in the day, bags would go around sort of thing, put a bit of money in sort of thing, and I wasn't doing it, and then one day, this individual just came up to me, and they just said, just so you know, God sees what you give, and it matters. And, that, and just a little whippersnapper, it was, it was pretty cool to have somebody come and say that and to reassure me that, yeah, it's only a little, but it actually does make a difference. And so, parents, I think that we can say these things to our kids as they grow up, that it does make a difference. And it probably, makes more, it probably made more of a difference in me than it did at church in terms of like what I was giving and contributing. Does that make sense? That, that God was stirring in me a heart of generosity and that he saw what I was giving and that's what mattered. So yeah, I think that that's something that we can do. Anyway, quickly, it way, uh, the way of Jesus, not just, as, uh, not just the, the words of Jesus. And so um, I think the good thing to notice here is that Jesus didn't limit the act of giving and self-sacrifice to the world of finances. He did not just limit self-sacrifice to the world of finances. Thank God that he didn't. Um, But he incorporated all parts of his life and living into these concepts. And so Paul, when he was writing about Jesus' example um, in Corinth, um, oh, sorry, to the church of Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, this is what he says. So I'm going to check it up on the screen. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Wow. Wow. Have you, have, have you ever thought about it before, that it wasn't just like sacrifice, but like Jesus willingly entered poverty for your sake? That he became poor so that we could become rich. Paul here is not talking about money matters. Paul here is not saying, and because of Jesus, you will now have a bonus at work this year. That's, I mean, it would be nice, but that's not what he's talking about here. Um, Paul here is talking about the fact that through the grace of Jesus, his voluntary death on the cross, we have been made rich in relationship with Jesus. Being able to know him personally and experience his abundance and eternal living because of his sacrifice. That's what these words are all about. And so Jesus became poor for me. He became poor for you. He took on poverty, a state of poverty, so that we could be rich. Let that sip into your heart. Let it sink deep. And let it influence kind of like the next part of this conversation that we're going to have. Is that, is that okay? Paul... Um, from there we see, sorry, from there we see in the book of Acts how Jesus' teaching and example directed the early church. Uh, And we see how the Holy Spirit empowered the church to live this out. 
So not only do we see Jesus' words affecting the early church, we see the Holy Spirit uh, filling the church and enabling them to live these words out. And I think that there is something really important there to note, that as Christians, we're not only called to these things, we're enabled to live these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is kind of like now shifting us into like the gift of voluntary poverty. Um, we see examples of this in the early church, such as in Acts 2 and Acts 4, where it talks about the believers willingly selling their possessions so that they could give to those who are in need, to the widows of the orphans, that they would place it at the feet of the apostles, and they would distribute the wealth as it was seen fit. As it was necessary, they gave to those. And there was this radical example happening, and it talks about as this was happening and the Spirit moved in power, that people were being added to the, the, the number daily. There were people coming to trust and believe in Jesus because of two things, a radical way of living that was empowered and inspired by not just the words of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit who's, who Jesus sent into his church. And so we have some pretty cool things going on. And so we see these practices are a part of how Jesus has intended his church to function. But we don't just see it in the early church. Because I can think, often we look at the church of, like, of Acts and go, oh man, if only. And I think that there's, there's some good intent there. But right throughout church history, we see movements of this kind of thing happening again and again. We see it happening in, um, in monastic orders, orders that decided to like, live together in intentional community, own nothing, and practice things like as radical as, guess what? Hospitality. <laughs> Where anybody and everybody was welcome to come in and have a free meal and to just experience warmth and shelter. And not just that, education. That was a part of their effort as well. We see not just in like the monastic orders, but we see it happening in terms of like Christian organizations and different things that were set up, such as hospitals and orphanages being set up. We see like this, this radical different way of living, and it was all, or the majority of it was on the back of individuals who at one point potentially were really, really wealthy, and they gave up everything that they had so that they could establish these things so that people could experience a better life and the blessing of Jesus. And so we have it not just in the church history, in terms of like way back early days, right throughout church history we've got it, to this day where we see organizations doing amazing things in the world around us, and we know that this world needs it. Yes, family? Yeah. So... Uh, this morning we are talking about the gift of voluntary poverty, and so we need to actually get to the gift itself and unpack it. So we've looked at the words of Jesus, but where do we see this gift, and what do we see Scripture saying about it? Quick disclaimer, just because we are now moving into talking about the gift of voluntary poverty, it doesn't mean that those without the gift here this morning can now ignore the words of Jesus and go, oh, no, 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 when Jesus said, sell your possessions and give to the poor, it's only for the people with this gift. The words of Jesus for the body of Jesus. We are that. And so we need to listen to them, but recognize that there will be people in this community who are especially empowered, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this in an even more radical way. And as a church, we need to get behind them and to love them and to support them in this. And this is pretty exciting. So are you guys ready for this ride? Yep, cool. All right. So 
Let's start with the definition of the gift. And so we've been using ministrytools.com as a key resource in terms of like finding our definitions or sourcing our definitions. So it says this, the gift of voluntary poverty is to purposely live an impoverished lifestyle to serve and aid others with your material resources. Read it one more time. The gift of voluntary poverty is to purposely live an impoverished lifestyle to serve and aid others with your material resources. And so a few things that I just want to draw out from this definition. The first thing is this, to purposely live an impoverished lifestyle. I think it will will come up. Yeah, cool. So those with this gift choose to live this way in solidarity with those that they come alongside and live life with, and they do so with a specific intention. In other words, it's not a mistake, it's intentional. And so those with a gift of voluntary poverty aren't like chosen with this gift because they've been fired, or they're struggling to find work, uh, or just because they don't want to work. The gift of voluntary poverty is an intentional decision made by those who realize that God by his spirit is empowering them to live a radical form of generosity and to live in solidarity with those who have nothing. Pretty crazy, eh? Yeah? Yeah? All right. So the next thing I want to draw from this definition is this. Uh, To serve and aid others with your material resources Those with this this gift use what they have and earn to radically bless others and to not accumulate things for themselves. To not accumulate things for themselves. This is so countercultural in this day and age. We live in a society of accumulation. We live in a society of more and the next and all of those things. Imagine this gift at play. And so the point of that, in terms of drawing out from that definition, is that people, not possessions, are the focus. People, not possessions, are the focus. But I think that it's important to ground this gift in Scripture in terms of, like, where do we see it at play? Um, Apart from the myriad of examples that we see uh, happening both in the early church and throughout the epistles, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, it says this, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but have not love, but sorry, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I'll say that again. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I have nothing. Now, is this not just describing someone's actions? Woo! Um, It could be very easy to read this verse and go, oh, this is just describing like, something that Paul wanted to do or something Paul was commenting on somebody that he had witnessed doing this. And he's saying, if you do that and you don't have love, then you're kind of missing the point. But there's a few things that I want to draw out here. And the, the, first, um, the first few things would be that uh, the, 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 sorry, the two verses preceding this, verse 1 and 2, just so you know, one and two come before three. I know, a maths lesson also. Um, verse one and two talk about spiritual gifts. It references spiritual gifts. So um, verse one talks about if I spoke in the tongues of angels and of men, but I don't have love, I'm like a, a resounding gong. I'm making a whole lot of noise, but I'm good for nothing. And so there's a reference to a spiritual gift. The very next verse, Paul says, if I 
prophesy. And so he's referencing again a spiritual gift. Verse 3, though, it's very interesting that we can go, oh, no, but this is just like, you know, something that somebody chose to do. But I think that in this passage, we see Paul referencing a bunch of spiritual gifts. Verse 1, 2, and 3. Gifts empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. Tongues, prophecy, and voluntary poverty. But not only that, we've the very next chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, which is a chapter that we've referenced heaps throughout the series and we'll continue to reference heaps, is Paul's key teaching on the gifts, or one of Paul's keys teaching on the gifts. And so verse 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is sandwiched between gifts at the start and then an entire chapter unpacking the different gifts and what that looks like and how it's practiced in the church. So does that kind of make sense in terms of where this gift comes from and where we can, the fact that we can draw on it as a spiritual gift? Yes, family? Yep. yep. All right, cool. So I just want to make sure that you guys are tracking because if we need to unpack this more, then we can do that. So we're understanding, you understand what I'm meaning by verse 3, sitting amongst a bunch of gifts and that we need to not draw it out and extract it and like have it on its own? Cool. Awesome. Thanks for the nodding heads. Appreciate it. <sighs> Another thing that I want to point out from the placement of this verse about the gift of voluntary poverty is that it sits in a chapter all about love. It sits in a chapter all about love. And this, of course, relates to all of the spiritual gifts because Paul is making a point here um, in terms of what they look like and how we practice them um, because they are about the building of the church and the, building, uh, and the blessing of the world. But what I want to draw out from this point, the fact that voluntary poverty sits inside chapter 13, which is known by most people. I mean, how many people have heard this at a wedding? Put your hands up if you heard at a wedding. Yeah. It's a great chapter for that. Um, and it's often referenced to as like the chapter of love. Yeah? Is that how you guys say it? Yeah? Let's turn to somebody and say chapter of love. You guys are not like following me on this one. Turn to somebody and say chapter of love. Graham and Julie, I really expected more from you guys, being marriage counseling and all that sort of stuff. Whatever. Anyway, what I want to draw from this is that the gift of voluntary poverty creates space to love God and others more fully. So I'll put that up on the screen. I think it's up there. The gift of voluntary poverty creates space to love God and others more fully. Because those with this gift aren't focused on possessions or money. They're not focused on career or the new shiny. Uh, and, it's because, and it's because of that they have more time. They have more resources. They have more in general to give out because their goal is an accumulation, as we talked about. In voluntary poverty, we see love being expressed in a very practical and tangible way. Not just that those with this gift give away what they have, so it's not just that, but they do so as a way of drawing closer to the poor because they also don't have much. And in doing so, they build bridges by living in solidarity with those with less. So a key thing with this gift is that it builds bridges between, the, between like the, the haves and the haves nots because it's intentionally choosing to live in poverty or like with less than you, know, you need so that you can come alongside those who have less than they want. Does that make sense, family? Yeah, cool. So as a church, this isn't something to be shunned. It is not something to be shied away from especially in a society where we see the gap between the haves and the haves not increasing more and more each day. 
And yes, we live like, you know, we live in a world where there is more wealth than there's ever been before. But there's also more poverty than there's ever been before because where there is more wealth, <laughs> it means there is more poverty. This is a beautiful gift for the church. This is a beautiful gift, and the world needs it desperately. Quick illustration of somebody who I believe has this gift, and I've had a conversation with her. She's okay with this. How many of you are blessed to know Victoria, who works here? She's on staff here. Victoria, Victoria Ferreira Ortiz is only like a small portion of her name. She's got something like 16 names. It's crazy. Um, Victoria, she is on staff here. She is an amazing lady, and if you don't know her already or, and, or have taken the time to spend time just getting to know her, I'd really encourage you to do so because the generosity of her heart and the love that shines out of it is such a beautiful, um, challenging, and encouraging thing. And so really encourage you to do that. Um, Victoria here works with those... Uh, sorry, Victoria, her role here is to work with those who are refugees or migrants... In particular, she really has an amazing work with refugees, those who have come from crisis, those who literally fled with nothing and live in a nation who has said, yes, we'll welcome you, but there is still great disparity. There's still a great separation in terms of they came with nothing, and yes, they're supported, but they, 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 they've lived in crisis for so long, they don't know how to live not in crisis. And she does this beautiful work as she works alongside them. Um, she, out of choice, doesn't have much. You, you go around to her place, she, she really has nothing. And what she does have, she uses to bless others. So she's got, yeah, she's got a laptop, <laughs> but that laptop goes everywhere with her. And she is constantly using it to fill out forms, to help others like get into things or apply for funding or like whatever it is. It's a beautiful way that she lives. Um, it was really interesting. I remember talking to her um, one time about how the fact that she was really struggling to work with the refugees, not because it was hard, but because she was struggling to get in with them because she wasn't a refugee and because she had so much. And so she was viewed kind of like just as another one of the government workers. And so a part of her decision was to have even less. To have even less so that she could come alongside and live in solidarity with those who have nothing. That is a beautiful and a powerful example of somebody in this family who we need to come alongside and like champion her. She's not wanting stuff from us that defeats the purpose. She just needs to know that she is, like, we need to validate her. She needs to know that she has a place here in this family and that we love her and we greatly appreciate the work that she is doing amongst the migrants and refugees of this city. She is a beautiful example, I believe, of voluntary poverty. And she does also with the desire, a deep desire, for these people to come to know Jesus. So, quick definition, or another definition, because I think the first definition lacked a little bit. So we're going to jump to this one. This one's from shepherdsofthelost.com, and it says this, The gift of voluntary poverty is the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to renounce material comfort and luxury and adopt a personal lifestyle equivalent to those living 
at the poverty level in a given society in order to serve God more effectively. Now, you can see why the first one came first, because it was way less wordy. But there's just a couple of things that I want to draw out from this one. And the first is this, renouncing material comfort. And Sorry, it talks about renouncing material comfort. But I would also point that it's not renouncing work. Victoria still works. She works a lot. <laughs> People who have this gift aren't doing so because they can't find work. People who have this gift aren't like giving up their material possessions because they don't want to work. They, they're doing this because they want to bless others and they want to see them come to know Jesus. And so the first thing where it talks about uh, God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to renounce uh, material comfort and luxury, I think it's really important that those with, that we note this, that those with the gift of voluntary poverty still work, but they do so, but they work so that they have what is needed and they give the rest away. So it's not that they live so much in solidarity that they in themselves become a burden. But as a church, we should be able to support them if that is the case. Um, but they live with what, they've, what they need and they give any extra away so that they can show God's love. The next thing that I would just draw out from this is that they do this to serve God more effectively. I think the first uh, definition kind of missed that. Not to be martyrs or heroes, uh, they have a calling on their life and are being empowered by the Holy Spirit to share God's love with the last in society. They do this to serve God more effectively. It's not about being a martyr. It's not about being a hero. It is about serving God more effectively and sharing his love with those who have less. Those who might struggle to come in on, for example, to a Sunday or meet with me for a coffee. You know, like that kind of thing. They are able to shop to their place and be welcomed into their place because they're not seen as foreigners to their situation, although they might not necessarily be, you know, the same colour or, like, whatever it is, that kind of thing. So, a couple of quotes to wrap up this morning. First one is from St. John Christentum. He's a guy who lived a long time ago, okay? So, like, 300s. 380, around about. He says this, It is the poor's wealth of which you are trustees, even in cases where you possess it through honest labor or inheritance. Note that. He's saying that you can like, earn this through honest work and, and through inheriting it. And is not the earth the Lord's and everything in it? Everything which belongs to God is for the use of all. It is the poor's wealth of which you are trustees. Think about that. I think that that is a word both to the church in terms of me and you, but I think that these words will in particular really resonate with those with the gift of voluntary poverty. And so if you, if you hear these words this morning, you're going, oh man, this is really like, like hitting my, 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 my buttons in like a positive sense, then I'd encourage you to, like to be considering this gift. Of course, we need a C.S. Lewis quote, and so up it goes on screen, okay? You're not a, you're not a Christian if you don't quote C.S. Lewis. Um, so this is up on the screen. Anyway, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, 
luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving too little away. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. Wow, what a prophetic word for this day and age. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, then it might be too small. As followers of Jesus, and we're not even talking about the gift of generosity here, (laughs) I think that gift does play into this one. As followers of Jesus, though, we are called to a very different lifestyle, one that radically blesses. But there are those here this morning even, potentially, that have this gift that need us to come alongside them and say, you can do this and we will support you. We will love you. We will come alongside you. We'll pray for you. And if you really do have nothing and you're not able to make ends meet, we will do that as well. We'll help make ends meet for you. This gift can only function well when the church functions well when all the believers are willing to sell their possessions and give to those who are in need. And so I think this gift both applies to those with it and to the church at large. So this morning we've been talking, um, we've talked about how those with the gift of voluntary poverty have a deep desire to connect with those who are poor, that they might experience the fullness and abundance of Jesus' life that they intentionally and with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit reject comfort and luxury for a life of simplicity which frees them up to be able to be more present to and share with those who have little or nothing. And so, how do you know if you have this gift? Well, I mean, it's pretty, pretty radical. And so if you're sensing a stirring of the Spirit right now going, man, I think this is me, then go after that. Lean into that. Test it, of course. Figure it out. But, If you're like, oh man, this kind of sounds interesting, but I'm not too sure. I thought I'd chuck a few things together to go up. So one, do you have a deep desire to see the poor and marginalized in society come to know and experience Jesus and his life? And it's not that you have to tick all these boxes as well. It could just be one of them. Two, do you find a joy in intentionally living a simpler lifestyle or considering doing so? You might not even be there yet so that you can be more available and a help to those with have le- sorry with those less sorry with those with less than you that does make sense three do you ever consider living in community with other Jesus followers with the intent to bless your neighborhood I think that's a big one I think we see a lot of that going on especially in this day and age more and more Christians are willingly selling like their homes and things moving into communities with other Christians uh, that are that just have less? Is that something you feel called to? Um, Grant and I this morning, we were joking about communes. I mean, like, it sounds a little bit hippie, uh, but that, that concept actually is a biblical concept in terms of seeking to, like, sell what you've got, <laughs> move into community with others. So, one, you can help each other in that community, and two, the community can look on and say, man, look at how these guys are living. It's really different. But also, as that community reaches out, they are blessed. The neighborhood has changed because Jesus has moved in. So that's one thing. Are you quick to recognize and meet the material needs of others? And five, do you ever give in faith or consider giving what, uh, sorry, 
that's a bit of a... Do you ever give in faith what you have reserved for your personal needs? Sorry, there was a typo there. Do you ever consider giving in... Do you ever give or consider giving in faith what you've left in reserve so that you could bless others knowing that you will go without? So those are just a couple of questions. So family, as we wrap up this morning... I'll say this, the church in this world desperately need followers of Jesus who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to practice this gift. The church in this world desperately needs followers of Jesus who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to practice this gift. To live in solidarity with the poor, not separate from them. To live in solidarity with the poor, not separate from them to intentionally move into communities that have less so that they can experience the wholeness and healing that comes from being in relationship with Jesus. Big question, is that you? Is that you? And finally, church, let's not just take the words of Jesus at face value in terms of go, oh, those are nice words. But as a church, will we actually consider the words of Jesus that we've read this morning and the 25% like the rest of that 25% on what Jesus has to say about money and possessions and go, I am willing to live a simpler life so that others can come to know the life that Jesus has for them. Again, voluntary poverty, if this is your gift, we need you. The church, the world desperately needs you to function and practice in this. This is so countercultural. And so we're going to move into a time of worship and of communion as we recognize the one who became poor for us, who willingly took on poverty so that we could have or be made rich, should I say, in knowing him. And so as we do that, uh, I'm just going to pray. Ben's going to come on up. But yeah, if this morning there's anything that's been said that is either started the cogs turning or sped them up in any way, Feel free to come and have a, a chat with me afterwards. I'd be more than happy to talk more about it. Introduce you to some, somebody like Victoria, who already like functions in this way within our community. Um, but yeah. Thanks for listening, family. I hope that this word has been um, as transformative and, and challenging as it has been like for you, as it has been in my own life over the last couple of weeks as I've been seeking to wrestle with um, taking Jesus seriously. Um, Yeah. He really is the smartest man who's ever lived. And I think that if we choose to live his way, um, I think we'll have our minds blown by just how um, much abundance we'll experience with him. Cool, let's pray. And uh, team, come on up. Yeah, Lord, we, um, we come to you and we recognize that uh, even sitting here this morning, uh, we are blessed. That we, um, <sighs> that we are rich because you became poor. And so, Jesus, we ask that you would help us to honestly engage with your words, to wrestle with them, to ask what that will look like in our lives. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would um, empower those thoughts and the words of Jesus, 
that they would forever change us and that we would be a community committed to living radically because we have experienced the radical love and acceptance and welcoming home of Jesus. And so as we now move into this time of worship, King Jesus, we praise you, we honor you, we give you glory. In your name we pray these things. Amen.